This is Alan Seaborn from Winning at Home. Welcome to In Progress, a podcast about faith, life, and how we grow. And in this episode, I want to talk about something that I think probably most of us have done before, especially uh, as we read through the Old Testament, which is I see this behavior that Israel has where over and over and over, it seems like no matter what God has just done for them, they find themselves going off track or backsliding or directly disobeying something that God had just told them to do. And it's really easy for us because we, we know what the story in the Old Testament is supposed to be. It's supposed to be the people of God obeying God. And then we watch time and time and time and time again that Israel spends their time complaining or while Moses is up on the mountaintop receiving directly the words from God, setting up a golden calf to start to worship instead of worshiping God, there's, there's just time after time after time where you see Israel getting off track. And it's really easy to say, wow, I can't believe that they messed up like that. Good thing I'm nothing like that, right? We don't usually say that second part because uh, we have a little bit more self-awareness than that. But we really do read and see what they do and go, man, how do they, how could they be so off track? And what I want to share in this episode is a realization that I had recently of how I was doing that same thing. So 1 Samuel 4-3 is a moment when this is about 20 or 40 years after Samson. So we all know that the big issue between uh, Israel and the Philistines was what Samson was all about. And this is kind of how they're famous, right? He's always just fighting the Philistines, fighting the Philistines, fighting the Philistines. Well, about 20 to 40 years later, Israel is still under the Philistines and they're in battle. They're trying to kind of regain the upper hand and they were defeated in this battle. And that's when 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 3, this is the quote. After defeat in battle, they say, let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh, which is where the tabernacle was, so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. Now, different translations, uh, different versions of scripture, that's the NIV that I just read, but I looked through a handful of different versions and a lot of the other versions of scripture, they translate that idea instead of saying, so that he may go with us and save us from the hands of our enemies. A lot of the passages translate it and say, so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies, so that the ark can go with us and save us. And my, my background, I took a couple years of studying Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in. And Hebrew, I'm not 
as familiar with. That's the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And so I had to do a little bit of looking because I'm like, okay, why would some translate it? He referencing God would go with us. And why do others translate it? It referencing the ark being where the power is coming from. And you know, the, the best that I can figure. Okay. So like I say, I'm not, not even not an expert in Hebrew. Uh, I'm not very advanced at all in my understanding of Hebrew and the way that words are translated. But from what I could see, it looks like a lot of times the, the words in Hebrew, there are many fewer words that communicate the same amount of ideas. And so one word could wind up doing a lot in a sentence or in uh, a concept. And so there's a lot of having to try to figure out, okay, in the context of what's being said here, how do you translate this word and bring what it's trying to communicate into English? And so I don't think, it doesn't seem, like I say, based on my limited knowledge, that people are just translating this and deciding, hey, I know that the original Hebrew says so that he, God, will go with us, but I'm going to change it and say, so the ark. Uh, I really think that this seems like uh, a genuine effort to try to understand what's happening here. It doesn't seem like people are trying to put their own ideas into the translation when they translate and say, that these people in Israel are saying, let's bring the Ark of the, the Lord's Covenant from Shiloh so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. Now, I want you to, to think about that for a moment because like I say, this episode is going to be about me realizing and seeing me in Israel's mistakes. So what they're doing here is Israel in this moment, and it's not the only moment, we'll look at another too, is missing the big picture. They're thinking that the Ark of the Covenant, which when the temple, so early on, they're Uh, what we picture as the temple was called the tabernacle because it was not a permanent place. It was a spot that as they were on the move, they could move the tabernacle from one place to the next. And then it set up in Shiloh. That's why they're saying, let's go bring the ark from Shiloh. But the ark was later housed when the temple was built and it was a permanent place the ark was in the Holy of Holies. This was the place where the presence of God rested, the ark of the covenant. And so they're saying, hey, if we bring the ark with us into battle, you see that they're kind of treating it like a lucky rabbit's foot, right? Like if we have the ark with us, then we definitely can't lose. And you get why 
people say, okay, how do you put this idea from Hebrew into English? Yeah, it definitely seems like they're saying, hey, if we bring the ark with us, it will protect us. It will ensure a victory. Treating the ark like a lucky rabbit's foot. And we can easily read this and go, oh, yeah, this is Israel doing dumb stuff. They're always doing that kind of thing. It's, it's like their calling card throughout the Bible, right? And we read what they do and we think, oh, man, they're, they're messing up again. I can't believe it. But like I say, this idea here of how they were treating God Like, hey, if I do this, you show up. I realized that I found myself doing that. Because if you've been listening for a while, uh, episode eight is the episode that I recorded on meditation. And in that episode, I talk about the way that God used a practice of consistent meditation to change my life of how, um, especially dealing with the health stuff that I'm dealing with. And if I'm not going to rehash the whole episode, but I, I really do. The episode on meditation is a huge motivator for me in starting this podcast in the first place, because I found this connection to God that I, I had never known before and I came across it. I don't know. At the time I started meditating, I was probably 30. And so I I realized I had spent so much of my life trying to connect to God, trying to chase after him, trying to be obedient, trying to live life the way that he calls us to live life. And I had never experienced the growth and the depth of my relationship with him that I experienced in the first, I don't know, maybe six months or year of meditation, I grew more in my relationship with God than in my entire life up to that point. And so I really wanted to get the word out. I'm like, man, this has absolutely changed my life. And I want to talk to people about it because it's, amazing. It's a huge deal. And it's like been mind blowing for me to experience this. I think you can even hear that I'm getting kind of animated as I'm talking about it because this was a huge moment for me in life. When I started practicing meditation, when I started connecting with God in this way, uh, it, it made a huge, huge impact. And it played out in tons of different facets of my life. In my relationship with Annalise, my wife, it made a huge impact. In my relationship with uh, the way that I communicated about what I thought God wanted to do in our lives. Um, And I think you have heard the way that I talk about this is that God has these Uh, standards and rules and expectations in place, not to limit us, not to, not to get us or keep us under his thumb 
or because he's excited to punish us when we mess up, but it's because he knows that this is the best way to live. And I experienced all of those things, all of those realizations and those moments where I surrendered, where I gave up what I was holding on to, what I thought was the thing in life and gave things over to God. It was in these moments of meditation. And so what I've realized, I think the first time that I started practicing meditation, I think it was in 2016. I'm pretty sure it was like fall of 2016. And so I practiced it for a while, you know, now it's, it's early 2019. So, you know, two and a half years or something along those lines. Well, life got pretty hectic for a little while and started to um, be in the middle of getting ready to sell our old house at the same time that we got this new puppy. And there was a lot of time going into training him and trying to keep him from destroying the house that we're trying to sell, right as we're trying to make it look as good as it can possibly look. And then we bought the new house and you, you, if you've listened to a few episodes, you know that was a whole lot more of an ordeal than we planned for it to be. And we were working on that thing, not even able to live in it for months. And what happened was I found like, okay, I, I'm working full time at the office at winning at home. And then I basically have a second full time job that I'm driving over to this house and I'm working on whatever it is that an unskilled person like me can work on. So I'm doing some of the demo. I'm doing a ton of the painting. I'm doing more of the just like grunt labor, right? The stuff that, uh, hey, all this stuff needs to get thrown away. All this stuff needs to get pulled out of here. All these things need to be picked up from Menards or Lowe's or wherever, and they need to be delivered to the house so that the next thing can happen when it's supposed to happen. And life just got really hectic. Now, in the midst of that, I know that this daily practice of meditation has made such a huge impact on my life. And so I wanted to figure out some way to keep doing it, but obviously time was a lot harder to come by than it, it had been in the, few, in the past. And so uh, I started, you know, I, you've maybe heard me talk about it a little bit, that I downloaded um, some guided meditation apps and I used those. And I, you know, I didn't love doing it, but I started kind of like while I was driving to and from work, I would listen to these little uh, meditation apps and it would, you know, help walk me through how to be mindful in the moment and how to, um, how to bring my mind uh, at peace. You know, those, the things that you hear when you hear people talk about meditation. And this went on for 
you know, the whole time that we were getting set before we were able to move into the house. And then as we got into the house, I was just kind of so exhausted that when I would try to go back to my previous daily, you know, six days a week practice of just sitting in silence and meditating, as I mentioned in that episode, uh, on the passage, be still and know that I am God. And I would repeat that and I would, um, you know, for those of you who picture meditation like sitting, uh, sitting kind of in that like yoga style on a padded pillow with your hands held up in the air on your sides with your middle finger and thumb touching, you know, you're picturing that. That was kind of my mantra, right? I didn't sit like that. I sat comfortably, but I was repeating over and over, be still and know that I am God. And once we got into the house, we're still working on a ton of stuff as we're in there. And I would try to get back into that routine and I would sit and I would try to um, just meditate and focus in on that verse. And a few days in a row, I fell asleep. I'm like, man, what in the world? I, this is, I mean, I know I'm tired. I know I'm run down. I know I've been burning the candle at both ends for longer than is good for me. I know some people have a huge higher tolerance for just go, 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 go than I do. But for me, it was, it was stretching me. It was stretching me too thin. And so I was like, okay, yeah, it makes sense. I'd be kind of falling asleep a couple times. And, um, and then I, I started making some adjustments and I started, okay, I guess I need to use these guided meditations even when I'm at home because I'm so tired. I'm just going to fall asleep. And I kept up with the practice, not as regular, not as routine, not as often, and in a really different way than I had done before. And it wasn't until maybe, maybe a month ago, maybe two months ago, somewhere in there, I realized that this exact thing that I, I read to you earlier from 1 Samuel, the people of Israel that were saying, hey, we're going to bring the Ark of the Covenant along with us so that it can save us. I was doing that. Not that same way, obviously, but I was thinking that meditation, the practice, was the thing. And like I say, I only realized this the past couple months. So I had been doing it for who knows how long, six months, eight months, I don't know, chasing the practice of meditation instead of chasing God. And um, there's a, a passage I, I want to read from Jeremiah, which if you listened, I don't remember how many episodes ago it was now, but we talked about how Jeremiah was prophesying before um, before the nation fell to Babylon. And 
he's preparing and he's telling the people that this is what's going to happen. The destruction that's coming for Jerusalem and the temple. And he was um, in the beginning of Jeremiah chapter 7. God speaks to him and tells him to go and stand at the gate of the Lord's house. Okay, so he's at the entrance to the temple. And scholars and people who study this think that he's probably speaking these words at one of three feasts when all the males from all over the country were coming to the temple to worship. So this is in a moment, obviously, the people are not looking to be confronted with their sin. And when Jeremiah is there opposing them so strongly, it causes a lot of friction. So this is what, when he's standing at the gates to the entrance to the temple, maybe at one of these high holidays where it is packed with people. From Jeremiah 7, this is the message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through the gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors, forever and ever. But look, you're trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. So imagine you're going to the temple. You're going to this place that you're picturing the very existence of this temple makes this the place where I go and I get to worship God. The, the fact that the temple exists means we're good. Now, it's interesting that the ark that we looked at from 1 Samuel is now in, uh, it's in the temple. And they're coming to this place where the presence of God is. And Jeremiah is saying, don't trust in these deceptive words and say, now I want you to hear the words he puts in their mouth. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Now, you get what he's doing there, right? He's repeating this idea, and in a way, it's kind of mocking. Like, hey, you're, you're acting like, no, this is the temple. Nothing bad can happen because, look, the temple's right here. It's the lucky rabbit's foot idea again. And we know from what we talked about previously that, the destruction comes. 
and what we see echoed throughout Scripture and what we know, we see this played out in our lives, is the thing we can really get in our heads um, that the thing that's enabling us to connect with God, that the way for me, meditation, for some showing up at church, for people in ancient Israel and Judah, the temple. Sometimes for us, saying that we're out there doing God's work, we're doing acts of service, we're doing exactly what he wants us to do. In ancient Israel, having access to the Ark of the Covenant, these are the ways that we find ourselves saying, no, I'm good. I have this. But we're missing that what those things are, what those things do, the reason those things exist is to connect us to God. And what I realized is that, you know, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say what we see Israel doing in the Old Testament of setting up these false gods, these false idols that they're giving devotion to instead of to God. I don't know that I would say that's what I did with meditating, but it's not terribly far off, right? Because I was imagining that this practice, meditation, the reason it exists, the reason that it was so impactful in my life was that this was a practice that connected me to God. Now then, when I started to, um, I don't know the right word, but to deify or to put on a pedestal meditation itself, right? Rather than understanding, no, this is the means to the end of connecting with God. Maybe you've heard this idea before, um, but I heard someone, I, I have no idea who this was. I think I heard this in a sermon 10 years ago. I, I don't know how to credit where this idea came from, but it's this idea that sometimes the biggest barrier to experiencing God right now is the way that we experienced God last time, most recently. Because it's so easy. It's so natural, right? What Israel did of saying the ark, in some ways you get that they're saying the ark is God. The temple is God. And in some ways, I made this connection and said, meditation is, I don't know if I quite said is God, but is the thing. And it's really natural and really easy, I think, if we're not really, really careful that we can allow the biggest obstacle to experiencing God now and in the future to allow that biggest obstacle to be the way we experience God 
in the past because we build that thing up rather than saying, wow, it's cool that God showed up in that moment in that way. I wonder how he's going to show up next. Now, this isn't saying that the practices, you know, there's um, this is kind of going back to some of my theological training, and some of you may be familiar with this idea. But in the church, we talk about there are things that we call uh, a means of grace. And so we talk about communion being one of these ways that we tap into uh, the, the flow of God's grace. We talk about baptism being one of these ways that we tap into the flow of God's grace. Now, it doesn't mean that baptism or communion is this instant boom. This is the thing that we need to be worshiping, baptism or communion. No, these are things that put us in a position to receive God's grace. And it doesn't mean that every time we receive communion that we're going to, you know, experience some thunderbolt. Whoa, this is exactly, wow, I just connected with God in a powerful, deep, deep way. But it puts us in position where we're saying, God, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm willing. I want to hear from you. I want to meet with you. And it doesn't, you know, God's not a genie that we just snap our fingers and boom, there it is. But I realized that the way I was treating meditation, I was kind of acting like that, right? It was like, oh, hey, this is how God shows up and boom, if I do this, God does this. And it becomes really easy then to make the way we've connected with God into the thing. And when I realized that that's what I'd been doing, I read these passages in scripture and I I didn't think what sometimes is so easy to think, right? Like, man, how did they get it so wrong? How are they so far off track? I thought, wow, I, I see a whole lot of myself in that. I see much more of myself than I'm comfortable with. And what I need to be reminded of and what I'm wondering if there's maybe anybody listening right now that needs to be reminded that the reason that we do the things that we do, the reason that we spend time praying and listening to God the reason we spend time reading his word and worshiping at church, the reason we take communion, the reason that we serve other people, the reason that we do all these things is to connect with him, to be obedient, to show our love for him. You know, Jesus uh, at one point said, if you love me, follow my commandments, obey my teaching." Do what I say to do. This is the way that we connect with God, but we can really easily lose focus and make the way that we're connecting with him into the 
thing. And I want to challenge any of us who are uh, in a spot where we go, yeah, maybe I'm not as far down the path as Israel was. Maybe you're not as far down the path as I was. But if you're going, yeah, there's a couple things that I'm doing um, not to connect with God, but for a different reason. To, um, I don't know. I think there's all different kinds of motivation. Some of it, we just want to appear to be the people that have all these practices and have our life totally in order and we check all the boxes. Like, yep, I did this today and this today and this today. I'm good. Uh, It can be easy to lose focus on why we're doing what we're doing. And that is to connect in with God. So if you, like me, like Israel, have been kind of missing the point, have been substituting something else uh, for God, or, you know, maybe that feels like too big of a concept or too big of a overstatement of what you've been doing, but substituting something that is meant to connect you with God and made that into something else, something all its own. I want to encourage you, like what I'm doing now, as I've been realizing, wait, the whole point here of meditation, God is to connect with you. Maybe you need to be reminded that the whole point of reading scripture isn't so you can say, I read five chapters today. It's so that you can say, God, I want to hear from you. I want to know how life needs to look different as a result of what's in your word. Uh, Instead of saying, hey, I haven't missed a Sunday at church in in 10 years. Um, To change the perspective from saying, not to say skip church, but to say, I'm going there expecting God for you to, to meet me, to challenge me, to encourage me, to point out some things in life that I need to clean up as I want to be more and more a follower of yours. And I just have a feeling that I'm not the only one who's fallen into this pattern just like Israel did, of saying, hey, the thing that I, that did connect me to God in the past, uh, now I've made that the thing. I'm guessing I'm not the only one. And if you're in that spot with me, I want to invite you uh, along for this journey of, like I say, doing what I'm doing now, of reevaluating and saying, no, the point here is not to say, yep, I've done this practice X amount of days for X amount of years for X amount of minutes every day, da-da-da. The whole point is to connect with God. And if you've been doing some things for a different reason, some things that did connect you with God in the past, and you're realizing now, like, "Ah, I'm, I'm going through the motions or 
I'm missing the whole point. I've put the emphasis on the totally wrong thing. Um, I want to encourage you to join me and saying we need to get God back on that throne in our lives. We need to stop chasing after, you know, the, the Old Testament way of talking about this. Stop chasing after those false gods, those false idols, these things that we've put in the position that only God should be in and start using these ways of connecting with him to do just that, to connect with God.